Hey everyone, you're listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the book of Ephesians. Enjoy the message. All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're going to be... uh, We've got two more sermons in our Ephesians series. If you haven't been with us for the last six months, we've been preaching through this amazing book, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and uh, we've only got two more Sundays, today and next week. So our theme for the series has been Sit, Walk, Stand, and we've been journeying with Paul as he's taken us from chapters 1 and 2, helping us identify our seatedness in Christ, that we are seated with him in the heavenly places, that we have this new identity as people who've been rescued by his sovereign grace and been adopted into his family. And if that's the case, then we are called to walk in a particular way and we are called to walk worthy of this calling. And then as we get to the end, we see this picture of us standing, the church called to stand against and to stand for and to stand firm. And so as we've journeyed through Sit, Walk, Stand, we've also been introduced to four different pictures of the church. The first one being a body, the second one being a temple, the third a bride, and the fourth an army. And so we're in chapter 6, and we see here that Christians are engaged in a spiritual war, that we have a real enemy who's intent on destroying the church. We have an ancient foe who seeks to work us woe, as Luther said, and we will sing in a little while. But the good news is that God has provided for the church and for the Christian an armor. If we are called to be his army, he has provided, he has provided us with equipment to wear. Now this isn't literal armor, as we spoke of a few Sundays ago. This is spiritual armor. This is Stuff that we know. The armor here is not something we necessarily do. It's a call to know things. And so the fight, he says, is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle and it's a spiritual armor. These are spiritual weapons. The Christian's weapon and the Christian's armor is truth. We are to be clothed in truth, clothed in the gospel. This is our armor. Our armor is theology. Our armor is truth about God. And so this armor, you can pray it on, but if you don't know it, it won't be on. I know a lot of Christians like to pray on the armor of God. And you can pray it on. But it won't work unless you know what you are praying for and what you are believing here. So this isn't necessarily something we do. It's a call to know. And Jesus affirms this for us in John 8 verse 31 and 32 where he says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I think Paul's got that in mind as he speaks about The standing firm. He wants us to stand firm in truth. So truth will set you free, but also truth will enable you to stand. To stand. 
So let's have a look at verse 11. Chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand firm. Verse 13, he says, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist and having done everything to stand firm. And again in verse 14, he says, stand firm, therefore. I get the impression Paul is concerned about Christians standing, right? Standing firm. Why? Well, because simply wobbly, unstable Christians are easy prey for the devil and his schemes. This is why Paul is so concerned. Because wobbly, unstable, unsure Christians are easy prey for the devil and his lies. John MacArthur says this. He says, what we believe about God, the gospel, the cross, etc. matters Because you and I will never rise above our view of God and our understanding of his word. The call is to stand, to stand assured, to stand firm. Listen, we can't love what we don't know. We can't love God if we don't know God. You need to know God in order to love God. So let's read our passage. Our passage is verse 13 through to 17, and we will go down to verse 20, but a little bit later. Paul then carries on, and he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You really get the impression here that there is a full armor that is available. And the reason there's a full armor available is because the enemy is constantly surveying your life, looking for a chink in your armor, maybe an unguarded part of your life. Some refer to it as a foothold. Do not give the enemy a foothold. I was watching the cricket yesterday. It wasn't great, was it? And, uh, but I think the key to the cricket today, day three, is if the bowlers can find that foothold that's been created by the bowler. So as the bowler runs down the, the track and, and one of the guys was overstepping the mark and he got a warning because he knows that if he can create a foothold, the next bowler can bowl the ball into that foothold. And if the ball lands in that foothold, who knows what the ball's going to do? It's going to spin and twist and bounce. It's going to take off heads. It's going to cause damage. It's going to take wickets. And it's just like Satan. He's looking for footholds, and he's going to bowl that ball into your weakness, and it's going to take off if you're unguarded. Notice in verse 13, he says, take up, take up the whole armor of God. Take it up. It doesn't say make it. We can't make it. It's the armor of God. We don't fashion or form this armor. We do not go into the furnace and fashion and form it. It is an armor that has been 
supplied, provided, take it up, not make it. And the reason why this is so important is because this ancient foe of ours, let's just imagine for a minute, imagine you studied maths for a hundred years. Imagine how smart you would be. I mean, I know someone in our congregation, I think she studied maths for about 10 years, maybe more, more or less, maybe 20 years. And she's uber smart. She's got a doctorate in mathematics and I think statistics. But imagine studying it for a hundred years, how sharp you will be. Now just think of the devil. He's been studying footholds and schemes and lies for thousands of years. He's an expert. Which is why he's the ancient foe that we need to be cautious of. But God has provided an armor, church. God has provided an armor. Paul's point is simply this. Arm yourselves with this truth. These are weapons that God has fashioned. These are weapons that have not been forged by human hands. These are weapons that have been forged by crucified hands. By God himself. John Stott in his commentary here says this. In the Old Testament we see some of this very same imagery. This weapon armor imagery being applied to God. He is pictured as a warrior fighting for us. And then he says, still today, the armor and the weapons are his, but now he shares them with us. He shares them with us. In Isaiah, we we read this about God. It says, then his own arm brought him salvation. God brings salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. Speaking of the people of Israel. Then he says this, he, God, put on righteousness as a breastplate. God did that. And a helmet of salvation on his head. And John starts saying that that God did that. God came and he became our righteousness. God came and he became our salvation. And now he shares that with us. He shares that with us. And so what does he share? He shares six, six main elements. And so you can imagine Paul at this particular stage. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He knows the Roman culture very well. He's had plenty of time and opportunity to analyze the Roman soldier's armor. And so we're going to look at the belt. We're going to look at the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword. And we don't have a lot of time, so we're going to move fairly quickly. Firstly, the belt. In verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, If we're going to stand firm against the devil and his schemes, we must have truth in our inner parts. Now, scholars have wrestled with this because is he talking about the truth or is he talking about truthfulness, honesty? And and my gut feel, my feeling from reading the text and keeping it in context is that it's truthfulness that he's after here. Because the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is truth in its wholeness, it it comes later. And there would be other reasons. And so I think that what he's after here in the life of the Christian is integrity. Integrity. Put on integrity. Be a person who does what he says. 
And when you think it through, the enemy never does what he says. And so the opposite of truthfulness is lies. Which is why honesty in the Christian life is so important. And integrity. Which is why truth needs to be worked deep down into our souls. We can't just have truth in our heads without it being in our hearts. The the doctrines that we believe, the truth that we hold to, must not just be information. They must actually transform us. And they must affect everything we do. You see, the opposite of truthfulness would be double standards. Double standards, lies and deception. These are the devil's game. And listen, he will not be beaten at it. So cheating and scheming and lying and deceiving should not be amongst us. If we're going to resist the devil, we must be truth tellers. People of honesty and integrity. It is a belt that girds us for the fight. Number two, the breastplate is righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, it's interesting. The breastplate really was designed to cover the soldier's vital organs. This whole chest area. The vital organs. And spiritually, it it kind of does the same thing. It covers our hearts. Our hearts from the enemy's lies and accusations. Because in Revelation 12, we are told that Satan is the accuser of the church. He's the accuser of the brethren. And he loves to come to us day after day and condemn us for the things that we've done wrong and maybe even the things that we should have done that we didn't do. And he accuses us. And he brings our past before us. And he brings our present before us. But the point is that What we bring back is not the breastplate of my righteousness. Look how good I am. Look what I've done. My performance, my works. No, no. It's the breastplate of his righteousness. So when the accuser comes, we don't try and justify ourselves. We're actually, in a sense, agree with him. And you say, you know what? I am a sinner. I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. But guess what? Christ died for sinners. Thanks for reminding me. John Calvin says, A true knowledge of ourselves should destroy all self-righteousness. You see, we don't go into the battle with the breastplate of my performance or the breastplate of my religious good works or the breastplate of my own doing. No, we go into the battle with the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. His achievements. Why? Because our righteousness is like filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Imagine going into the battle and presenting your filthy rags. Notice also that he says it's our righteous deeds that are filthy rags. Not our sins. Our sins aren't filthy rags. That's a given. It says our righteous deeds are filthy rags. But praise God, there is a righteousness that comes from God. A righteousness that we receive by faith. That we can present to the enemy. That we can, when when we're feeling accused and we're feeling condemned and we're feeling beat up. and And I'm not living like a Christian. What must I do? You must remember, 
the breastplate of Christ's righteousness that I'm accepted by God on the basis of His performance, not my performance. D.A. Carson says this on how to defeat Satan. He says, what you must say is, Satan, I am even worse than you think. But God loves me anyway. He has accepted me because of Jesus' blood and righteousness. Number three, the shoes. The shoes of gospel peace or gospel reconciliation. Verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Listen, in the ancient world, these were not boots, really. These were more like sandals with spikes, if you can imagine that. There needed to be a certain measure of stability, but also a certain measure of flexibility. Because this was hand-to-hand combat. This was kind of sword-to-sword, arrow-to-arrow. This was in-your-face combat. So you needed to be flexible, yet sturdy. We need that, church. We, we, it's, sad. it's a sad day when, when Christians are wishy-washy, when we're inflexible because we're legalistic or we're to and fro. Tossed. The idea is that our feet are ready and steady, that we are assured with the understanding of the gospel, that God has reconciled me, the gospel of peace. God has reconciled me with Himself. There's no longer wrath, but peace. The gospel has brought peace between me and God. This is crucial because it affects my relationship with my brothers and sisters. If I've been reconciled with God, I have every reason to reconcile with my brothers and sisters. Because the gospel of peace is not that I only have peace with God, but I have peace with my brothers and sisters. We are family. And so when we offend and when we get hurt, and that's one of the biggest targets of the enemy, is to cause offense and bitterness between one another. And the good news of the gospel of peace is, as Christ has forgiven me, so I forgive you. This is how we fight. We don't fight flesh and blood. We don't hold offense and take offense and give offense. No, no. As we've been forgiven, as we've been reconciled by the gospel of peace, so we are peacemakers with one another. These are the shoes we wear. We don't get stuck in the mud of offense. We don't get stuck in our own world and issues. No, no. We're We're balanced. We're not divided. We're not uncertain. It's not one foot in the church and one foot in the world. These shoes are ready and steady. They are secure. They are gospel shoes. Know that you've been reconciled at great cost by Christ. And so seek reconciliation with one another. Don't allow the enemy a foothold to cause offense and hurt and unforgiveness. Please, fight that fight. Fourthly, the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Listen, this shield was not a little round metal Captain America shield. That's not what he's picturing here. He's picturing a large, rectangular, leather, hardcore shield. This is a shield not for wimps, but for warriors. The history books tell us that in the ancient Roman world, that 
that these soldiers would soak these shields in water overnight so that when they would go into battle, the flaming arrows would be extinguished as they would penetrate these shields or bounce off them. Now, here's the amazing thing about the shield. Paul says here that this shield, faith, faith is able to extinguish or quench all the fiery darts of the devil. That's pretty impressive. This is an impressive shield. So what kind of faith can do that? And the answer is mustard seed faith. Mustard seed faith. Because the faith that he's describing here, although it is a shield, it's not a magic wand. Faith is not a magic wand. Faith is not, I can leverage, if I believe it enough, I can leverage God to give me what I want. Or faith is not a denial of reality. Like some kind of magic wand and we can get God to dance to our tune. If if I just simply believe enough. Well, that's not the faith that he's talking about here. I mean, some people think that faith is standing in front of the mirror and when you have flu, saying this, I confess I don't have flu. I believe it. I don't have flu. Or whatever you want to put in its place, I want, I want, I believe I want, or I believe I shall have, whatever it might be, that's not the faith. That's, that's mysticism. That's the law of attraction. That's not the Bible. That's not biblical faith. That's Gnosticism. The shield of faith is a confident trust in God and what He has said. And here's the good thing. It's not about how big it is, but about how great the object of your faith is. Which is why it can be as small as a mustard seed As long as my faith is in the right object, it's the object of my faith that makes my faith strong, not my faith. Faith is just the means. And so Paul's after here, he wants you to have a big view of God. He wants you to, your faith will be great and your faith will be strong if you understand who God is. If you see God for who he really is. Kent Hughes says this, he says, As we believe God and His Word, the shield of faith flies up and the arrows fall to ashes. Because true faith comes from seeing the greatness of God, the sovereignty of God. Listen, if you don't, if, if, if you don't see God as sovereign, then your faith will be frail. God is sovereign. All authority in heaven on earth, is his. The final thing, just quickly about the shield, is that they were made in such a way that they were designed to be interlocked. And so when they went to war, they never went alone. Christian, you cannot fight this battle alone. You need people with you. And there are times and seasons in your life where you need to be interlocked with people. And so they would march as a big group. And as soon as the arrows would fly at them, they would break into smaller groups and they would interlock shields. It sounds like church life. Here we are marching. 
And during the week, we're going to break into smaller groups and we're going to interlock shields and we're going to stand together and stand firm. Don't neglect to do that. Fifthly, we're almost there. The helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. The helmet provides the soldier's mind and head with a sense of protection. I I often watch big wave surfing. And there was recently some seriously big surfing happening at Jaws in in Hawaii. It was Jaws, AJ. And, um, And I was super impressed because most of the guys weren't wearing helmets. But I was only impressed for a little while until some of them nearly died. And then my impression went to uh, ignorance, uh, maybe courage, I don't know. Because the thing is, without the jet ski, they would have died. And so, uh, you know, I've often also watched like BMXs, you know, these professional BMXs. They, they wear a helmet and suddenly when you put the helmet on, you have a, little, a lot more courage. And so this helmet is to provide courage for the journey. It's to inspire a sense of assurance. So the word is, it's a helmet, but it's a helmet of what? Of salvation. It's, it's, what he's after here is assurance. Christian, you need to know if you're really saved. And you need to know the assurance of your salvation. That your salvation is not dependent on you your perseverance matters. Yes, you must persevere to the end. But the dependence of your salvation is on God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and no doubt he's referring here to the assurance of our salvation. That I know before God, before a holy God, I'm still working out my salvation. But in reality, I am saved and I'm being saved and one day I will be saved. And so Paul is saying here that this helmet guards our mind. It's the, it's the knowledge of salvation. Do you understand, church? Do you know the assurance of your salvation? Do you know what it costs Christ to save you? Do you know what it means to be a Christian? Do you know what it means to be saved by grace through faith? These are the things we need to know. We need to know that nothing can pluck us from God's hand. We need to know that in Romans 8, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor powers, nor principalities, nor peril, nor sword, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is the helmet of our salvation. Knowing that we are His. Knowing that we belong to Him. Knowing that He will keep us. Knowing that he who began a good work in us will complete it. Knowing this is vital to the Christian fight. Put on the helmet of salvation. And number six, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Word and Spirit. The Spirit inspires the Word. The Spirit leads us to the Word. The Word leads us to the Spirit. This shows us that not only did the Spirit inspire the Word, but they're inseparable. To use the sword of the Spirit is to know the Word of God. To be full of the Spirit is to be full of the Word of God. To walk in the Spirit is to walk in the Word. Jesus was the most Spirit-filled person who ever walked earth. And when he went into a battle with Satan, he used 
the word. So there we have the six pieces of armor that God supplies. And it's our responsibility to take it up. Don't make it. You can't make it. It's truth. It's, it's knowing things. It's not something we do. It's things we know. And we put it on. We put on truth. John Stott says this. We must be sure to avail ourselves of every item of equipment provided and not omit any. Our enemies are on every side and so must our armor be. Now what I want to end with is actually a reference that Paul makes to his chains. We've looked at the belt, we've looked at the breastplate, we've looked at all these pieces of armor. But Paul mentions right at the end his chains. And then he speaks about prayer and perseverance and preaching. Now, we don't have time to go into this, but I'm just going to read it and then make a final comment and then close with a quote. He then says, after listing these things that we are to believe, these things that we are to know, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. You see, the Spirit-filled Christian is a word-filled Christian, is a praying Christian. The battle requires faithfulness in truth and faithfulness in devotion, in prayer. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. See, not just for yourself, but for everyone else. And also for me, Paul says, that my words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He wants to carry on preaching. Then he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. I mean, that is an oxymoron. I'm an ambassador. I'm one who's been sent, but I'm in chains. Why? Because he's not chained to his circumstances. Think back to what we said in Ephesians, I think it's 4 verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not a prisoner of Rome. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not a prisoner to his circumstances. He's a prisoner of Christ, an ambassador in chains. Here he says, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so although he's under house arrest, although he's chained to a Roman soldier, nothing will stop him from persevering in his mission. He will continue to pray. He will continue to preach. Although he's chained, the gospel can never be chained. So we're on the winning side. They can put us in prison. They can plunge us into darkness. They can thrust a spear through our hearts. We win, church. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. They can chain us, but the gospel cannot be chained. Amen? Here's the last example of a Christian and how a Christian uses his armor in battle. It's a fairly lengthy quote from Martin Luther, but it's outstanding. Luther says this, When the devil accuses us and says, You are a sinner and therefore damned, we should answer, Because you say I am a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. No, says the devil, you will be damned. And I reply, No, for I fly to Christ who gave himself for my sins. Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by setting forth the greatness of my sins and try to bring me into heaviness, distrust, despair, hatred, contempt, 
and blasphemy against God. On the contrary, when you say I am a sinner, you give me armor and weapons against yourself so that with your own sword I may cut your throat and tread you under my feet. For Christ died for sinners. As often as you object that I am a sinner, so often you remind me of the benefit of Christ my Redeemer, on whose shoulders and not mine lie all my sins. So when you say I am a sinner, you do not terrify me, but comfort me immeasurably. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For this, your word to us today, at the start of a new year, we thank you that you've called us and you are calling us to, to be equipped, saints who are equipped, saints who are ready, saints who are standing firm, saints who know the truth so that the truth would set us free. And Lord, as we head into this year, we pray that we would be soldiers fully armed, that we would know these things that we are called to know, that we would put them on. We would take these truths and we would plunge ourselves into them. And if we don't know them yet, we would seek to know them. We would discover it. We would, we would apply ourselves and we would strive after knowing these truths so that we may quench the fiery darts of the evil one. Lord, we are in this world, but we are not from this world. And so help us, Lord, to fight the fight, the good fight of faith. And although at times we feel weak and weary, we look to one who conquered. We look to the one who rose from the dead. We fix our gaze on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. And when we're accused, and when we're condemned, and when we're attacked, and when we feel offended and embittered, we do not look in, and we do not look to ourselves, but we look up to Christ, who comforts us immeasurably. Holy Spirit, won't you work this word deep into our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.